You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning and welcome again to Grace Community Church. If you are here for the first time, we extend to you a special welcome. My name is Brad Talley. I am the teaching elder here at Grace. I have to say another word about Dave Knight. Uh, and, and by the way, what Jeff was praying about uh, in it, it, when he was talking about Australia, um, I read this. We have a lot of contacts in Australia, my wife being from there. But I did not hear this from any of them, but we read in the Gospel Coalition that in Victoria, which is the state in which Melbourne <laughs> lies, uh, they are they have passed a new law. don't know if it's got to go through the courts, whatever, that if you, as a pastor or a counselor, tell someone that it is wrong, that, that you think it is wrong to, you can't sanction a same-sex marriage, then you can be fined hundreds of thousands of dollars and spend years in jail, up to 10 years in jail. Now, again, who knows where that's going to be, but it's Canada, Australia, they're out in front of us, uh, but you know what? The message today is, that's okay. That's okay. Um, I hope you are as delighted as I am to be spending another summer in the Psalms. We did so some 13 years ago, I think it was. <clears throat> when you come to the Psalms, believers are invited to read through the Psalms as a unit, as one of five books, as a smaller section such as the Psalms of Ascent which we'll talk about later this year, or return to a familiar psalm, just one psalm, as many times as you desire or as you need to go to those psalms. Sometimes I get stuck in a psalm for several days because I want that truth to wash over me. Who doesn't love the psalms? And the older you are, the more you love the psalms. That's just the way it is. The Psalms were written and meant to be sung, not spoken. Dr. Rand Whitley, professor of music education at Campbell University, author, conference speaker, and jazz band member extraordinaire, is going to come and lead us in singing last week's text, Psalm 2, which remains in focus this week. Thank you, Brad. The psalms were meant to be sung. So the question is, why don't we sing them? Well, there are a lot of good reasons why we, uh, why we should sing the psalms. First of all, it's biblical. If you read the psalms itself, it says, sing these psalms. That's number one. In Ephesians, Colossians, Paul said, uh, admonish one another with psalms. Sing these psalms among themselves. And on the night that Jesus uh, was betrayed, he actually shared psalms with his disciples. Many good reasons. Incidentally, Brad said you'd be interested in this, so if you're not, you blame him, okay? <laughs> but there are also some very good psychological reasons. Song unifies the fellowship. The church is hardly in more agreement than we are united in the same melody, the same rhythm, and the same message. Have you ever had an argument while we're singing a song? It, it doesn't happen, okay? Also, the pace of reading is very quickly, but the pace of song allows us to stop and reflect on words, 
reflect on meanings. There are cadence points in which we can actually reflect on what we just sang. Also, the, uh, the process of words. We process words differently than we process song. Now, I can't remember what I had for breakfast. I'd have to think hard. But I can remember all the lyrics from those Credence Clearwater Revival songs back in the 70s. You bump me in the middle of the night, and I'll tell you. But if you ask me what color my shirt is, I'd have to look down to see. That's true. There are many good reasons to sing psalms, so why don't we sing them? Well, there's a twofold, twofold problem with language. First of all, there's a problem of translation, and there's a problem of poetry. Uh, we come to worship not with the psalms in Hebrew, but we have a translation of the psalms in English. And not just one translation, there are numerous translations. And if we attempted to open up our Bibles and sing the psalms, it would be a chaotic mess. So there's a problem of translation. Also the problem of poetry. Uh, the essence of poetry is the regular reoccurring beat or pattern in poetry known as meter. Let me give you an example. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Did you feel the rhythm in that poem? That's a metrical setting of a hymn. But if we translated amazing grace into Hebrew, what would happen to that meter? The different language would scramble the meter. So the Psalms are written in Hebrew, and if you could hear a Psalm in Hebrew, you would hear the meter. But when we translate these Psalms back into English, we lose that sense of meter, and the meter is lost. So how can we sing these Psalms that were intended to be sung? Well, the Reformers, John Calvin, Luther, they gave us a solution. They gave us the Psalter. So what is a Psalter? Uh, start taking notes. Uh, there will be a test. Oh, we're not in class, are we? <laughs> okay. No, this is the, okay. So what is the Psalter? The Psalter is a metrical setting of the Psalms in a vernacular language using common meters and familiar tunes. And if you use the Psalter, now you can sing all 150 Psalms. Now, I brought several uh, Psalters. I collect them. I know that's a nerdy thing to do, but I collect Psalters. So if you want to see what Psalters look like, uh, I can show you an example of different ones. This is the Scottish Psalter from the 19th century. This is an Anglican Psalter uh, from the 20th century. But this is my favorite one. It's the Seabed Psalter, which is the 21st century one. Uh, but when, let's take Psalm 23, for example. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. You've lost meter when you translate it in English, but when you paraphrase it to meter, my shepherd will supply my need. Jehovah is his name. In pastures fresh, he makes me feed beside the living stream. That psalm has been set to an English language meter and now can be sung as a congregation. And if you pick a familiar tune, now you can sing the psalm instantly. My shepherd will supply his need, Jehovah is his name. That's New Britain. Or you can go, my shepherd will supply my need, Jehovah is his name. Or my shepherd will supply my need, Jehovah is his name. That's, that's a lesser known tune. Or you can take up. My shepherd will supply my need. Jehovah is his name. Or the, the best one is, my shepherd will supply my need. Jehovah is his name. Gilligan's Island. All these, <laughs> all these can be sung to the same meter. Now, our psalm today is Psalm 2. And rather than reading this psalm, we're going to sing it from the Psalter. 
And so we're going to sing it to a familiar tune. I say it's familiar, but if you grew up in church, you'll know it. If you didn't grow up in church, you might take a verse or two to learn it, but the tune really is familiar. The tune is called Aurelia, and uh, you recognize it to the hymn, The Church is One Foundation. So let's stand and sing Psalm 2 together, and uh, thank you, Leanna, for leading us on piano. We're going to sing Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of earth together with rulers and array against the Lord and also against his anointed one. Let's break their chains and Thank you, Dr. Whitley. I had him for class years ago. He's much older than I, as you can, you can see. Uh, no, not really. I think I'm a tad older than he, but a great, great teacher. What a great way to learn about the Psalms. And we're going to try to do this all along the way, learn about uh, the titles of the songs. Do they, Psalms, do they mean anything? Songs of Ascent, what are they? Um, what about acrostics? Why, why would God arrange psalms in that way. So we'll be talking, maybe even hearing from a few of you about your favorite psalm and how it has ministered to you at a difficult time or a time of rejoicing in your life. So much in the psalms. 
Well, this past week, as we have just sung about, we received a stern warning from Psalm 2 to not rebel against Yahweh and not to war against his people. Embedded embedded in that uh, warning and almost every warning in Scripture is an invitation to believe, to submit to the king of the universe who loves and protects his people fiercely with a righteous intensity and jealousy. God's judgment is impartial and it is laced with mercy for those who repent from their sins or repent of their sins and believe him or for those who turn to him Although it will be too late when our lives end or when Jesus returns for his church. So today in Acts 4, we're going to see how Psalm 2 directs New Testament theology. Psalm 2 is also quoted in Hebrews and the book of Revelation. And there are hints of the second psalm in several other New Testament books. But this morning, we're going to stay in Acts 4 and observe how the early church understood the rejection of Jesus by both Gentile and Jewish leaders to be the fulfillment of what was already happening in Psalm 2. It turns out it was a prophecy especially about those who turned against the anointed one, or the anointed, as it says in Psalm 2, Messiah. It will be good for us to understand the narrative in which Psalm 2 finds uh, expression. So please remain seated. Typically we stand for the reading of Scripture, but we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture in Acts 4 as we receive encouragement to boldly proclaim Jesus even as this psalm challenges us to live as the early church lived. We've been talking about the early church for years and years and years and how we ought to model our worship after them. Well, now we may use them as a model when there is very significant opposition to the gospel. For context, in Acts 3, Peter and John healed a man who was lying at the gates asking for money who had been... Lame from birth, which was over 40 years prior to the healing. And so Peter used that as an opportunity to preach another sermon in the temple. Look, if all you think about Peter is how he wimped out on the Lord, you've missed so much. He is extremely bold in the book of Acts in the early church, over and over, preaching very powerfully and directly. Uh, against those who crucified Jesus or calling them out for crucifying them. You'll see that today. It'll refer, refer back to a couple of other times too. So that's the context now beginning in Acts 4, 1. And as they were speaking to the people, Peter and John, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men, just the men, came to about 5,000. That's a good many, indeed, believed. So we are once again... 
introduced or reminded about our old friends, the Sadducees. The Sadducees, you will recall, possibly from John's gospel, controlled the priesthood. It was a political movement. They weren't necessarily Levites. So they controlled the priesthood, though, and they were in with Rome. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And so they were, no wonder they were greatly annoyed by the preaching of the gospel uh, that the apostles conducted in the temple. They were very influential in the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin, 70 men who ruled Israel and had great authority actually over Jews all over the Roman Empire. Remember, Paul went up to Damascus to find those who believed in Jesus and dragged them back to Jerusalem. So these guys were powerful. And now um, they are going to sit in judgment on Peter and John and the message that they were preaching. They were particularly upset when Peter preached about the resurrection because he had just preached that it was a great miscarriage of justice to arrest and have Jesus handed over to the Romans knowing full well that he would be crucified or they pushed Pilate to do so even though Pilate tried to free Jesus. So the notion of a resurrection was even more infuriating not to mention the 5,000 men plus women and children who converted. Verse 5, on the next day their rulers... And elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Now this is beginning to sound familiar. This is a lot like Jesus' trial. I looked it up. I tried to find how the room might have been structured. I am preaching to you from up here, but most likely, if if there was any difference in the levels of places where people uh, sat or stood in this room, it would have been more like an amphitheater style where Peter and John and the man who had been healed were down front in this powerful group of people that had made sure Jesus would be crucified, were now grilling them. You remember how Peter cowered at Jesus' arrest. Is he going to do the same thing again? Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined concerning, or examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, By what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, I can see Peter doing this, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man, by him, this man is standing before you well. And verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
My goodness, Peter. Listen to Peter. This was the third time that Peter had accused the leaders of putting Jesus to death. And it was the third time that Peter had proclaimed Jesus was raised from the dead, which was a stinging and mocking rebuke of the decision to have Jesus crucified. In verse 11, Peter linked their rejection to Psalm 118, claiming that the Sanhedrin had rejected the Lord of glory. But Jesus was raised from the dead and became the cornerstone for the church that God was building through Jesus. Then in verse 12, a powerful statement about the exclusivity of salvation through Jesus alone. Everyone should hear verse 12, and believers should know this verse by heart. Then verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. It doesn't mean that they were, uh, had never gone to school. It just meant that they had not been trained in theology. It doesn't mean that they didn't know how to read or write. They were very uh, more advanced than many of us are today, but they had not been trained by the leaders, the religious leaders in the scriptures, which it turns out apparently was a good thing. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They saw these guys and they said, you know, these guys were with Jesus. But seeing the man who had, was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. That pretty well would shut them up, I would think. That's such a great line in verse 13. 13. Not what matters is not your level of education, but whether or not you have been with Jesus. And if you've been with Jesus, then you've been in the Word. These guys were with Him physically, but we are with Christ in the Word. He is with us in church, He is with us when we gather together at other times when we pray. You can be bold. No matter who you stand before. And you may think, oh, that person is way too educated for me to talk to him about Christ. I can't tell you the number of testimonies that I've heard of brilliant people who were saved not by other brilliant people practicing apologetics and sharing the gospel with them, but by the steady and slow faith and a word fitly spoken at just the right time by someone who would not be considered anywhere close to the league of that person who hears and believes. Verse 14, it, this is almost a comical scene. I mean, here's John and Peter and the lame man who has been healed and saved. If you think Peter and John look rough to this sophisticated crowd, imagine how their grinning companion must have appeared. You know, Peter's over here doing this, and that man is probably testing, you know, just saying, I can't believe I'm, I, I've been healed. Who knows? Maybe the river dance was, was started right then and there. Verse 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. 
But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they call them and charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I know you've been here before. There are times when you may be a little bit fearful. You, I'm not going to speak about Jesus, but you find yourself. You can't help it. You have to speak about what you have seen and heard in your own life. And so there it is. We've been, we've been reminded from Scripture over this past year that we honor God by honoring and obeying the government. When we are told, however, to no longer speak in Jesus' name, well, as Peter said, you must judge. You're going to have to do we obey you or do we obey God, we must obey God and tell the truth about Jesus. I don't mean that, that we must tell everything that we believe about all the issues that are so contentious in the culture uh, today. But I think it does mean that we must state what we believe when asked about current cultural debates, such as what we believe about marriage. I mean, we must confess our belief that God's design for marriage is for one man and one woman to live together in marriage and to have children. Lots of them. You young ones, I'm telling you, this is God's will. Children, lots of children, if the Lord enables you to do that. Um, I'm thinking about, I was thinking uh, about uh, our brother in Australia, Dave Knight. We have two of our missionaries in Melbourne. Dave Knight and uh, Mike Rader as well. And so this burden is now upon them. We need to be praying for our brothers. Dave Knight, you look at him up online, uh, teachandtell.com or org, org.org. You look him up online, you'll see some of the videos. It's really old school street evangelism with, you know, the drawing and the, all the, the, the board up there. But it, they are well attended, and they, he is amazingly effective. And he goes to places where big events are happening, World Cup, Olympics. And it reminds me of the Apostle Paul, because that's what Paul would do. He would go into these large cosmopolitan areas or places where people were gathered and preach the gospel. And when people believed, they would go back to their homes taking the gospel with them. Well, now these guys in Australia are under attack. We must be willing to say that in Jesus, all barriers are broken down and we are one in Christ, regardless of race, socioeconomic status, or gender, according to the gender that God gave us. That is, and I understand there. Physiological exceptions, but they are rare exceptions. Not points of referencing or reference for changing everything that we know and believe. 
These days are not going to be easy, and we must never seek to offend for the sake of offense. But we must be bold to proclaim the gospel just like Peter and John. And we must be willing to state our beliefs when pressed as our brothers in Jerusalem so many years ago did. Verse 21. And when they, the leaders, had further threatened them, they let them go. Finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And yes, I'm aware that I've stopped in the middle of a sentence. Um, I wanted to point out that the apostles who had just been reprimanded by the highest political authorities of the Jewish people looked to God not only as a higher power, but as the one who created everything, who allows any of us to take our next breath. And so when you are tempted to think that everything is out of control, you can trust that our sovereign Lord superintends all that occurs. In Acts 5, we're going to find the, the, the apostles once again preaching in the temple. And once again, they will be arrested. But this time, they'll be beaten and threatened within an inch of their lives. So did that shut them up? No. They left rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. The name of Jesus. And they resume preaching in the temple and in the community from house to house, we're told. But we're still in Acts 4 where the apostles are ready to connect all that has happened to Jesus back to the proclamation in Psalm 2. After acknowledging God's sovereign power in verse 24, now in verse 25 they say, Who through the mouth of our father David, so David we know is the author of Psalm 2 in Acts 13, Paul says it's the second psalm. Who, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So the apostles acknowledged Jesus as Lord. And they believed that Psalm 2 was being played out before their eyes as both Jewish and Gentile leaders conspired to squash the spread of this name and this gospel. They had conspired to crucify the Lord of glory according to God's sovereign plan. Verse 27. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats 
and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. <laughs> That's a lot of good word right there. Three challenges from this narrative, beginning with do not depend on worldly leaders to protect the gospel, but rather trust the sovereign God who has created, who has spoken, and who directs all peoples and events according to his will. For most of my 67 years, I have lived in a nation that has protected the rights of its citizens to practice and promote their religious beliefs as they are instructed in, in whatever scriptures they adhere to. Within reason, of course. It becomes easy over time to think that we are entitled to that level of freedom. Our nation's founding documents speak of inalienable or indisputable rights. These rights are not even in question. It's a wonderful, wonderful way to start your founding documents. But since we have a deficit of knowledge and understanding of history, and since wealth and success easily distort our sense of reality, it can be a shock to discover that not only the kingdom, kings of the earth and the rulers of the world are opposed to the sovereign creator and ruler of this world who is King Jesus, but also our own government officials. are opposed to Jesus. They don't want to hear any message that elevates his authority over theirs. And again, we're thinking about individuals as well as the government because we are a nation governed by, ostensibly governed by individuals. So, since our land has enjoyed a government that is of, by, and for the people, it is no surprise that people that the people will eventually require a level of personal freedom that will induce them to publicly reject God's authority in their lives. In the abolition, abolition of man, C.S. Lewis said, when all that says it is good has been debunked, what says I want remains. Ultimately, either Yahweh of Psalm 2 is God or I am. As Jesus' followers, we believe that God spoke the world into existence and that He is speaking to us through the writers of Scripture where He has told us that some, even most in this world, will reject his authority. But we have the gift of God's word leading us and the power of the Holy Spirit conforming us to the image of Jesus. We have the Psalms to comfort and instruct us even when we're really discouraged. And thus, 
we take comfort in knowing that everything, everything happens in accordance with the perfect plan of the sovereign God of the universe. Whom we get to call Father. He is the one on whom we depend. Don't count on your political party to fix it for you. Although I am all about let's do everything we can to keep this nation where it is. I want to do that. But ultimately our allegiance and our trust has to be in the Lord. The second challenge is to know scripture well enough to be able to defend the truth of the gospel in whatever position God places you. I'm so glad that a lot of you were here for Grace Matters last week. Allison and I hated to miss the session, but we were right where we needed to be uh, with family after the sudden loss of one that is so dear to us. It was a family ago for me, but we're very connected with these guys. The lady that was married to my dad and took such good care of him before he passed away, uh, remarried, and now this wonderful man to whom he was married is with the Lord as well. Uh, and we had to be there, but we listened to the podcast. I loved every one of the participants on, on that podcast. And what a beautiful job the panel did discussing the topic of inerrancy. And the reason that I bring this up at this particular point is to say uh, that I want to affirm a, a statement that Burt Wallace, who's going to give our benediction in just a moment, made that we do not believe in the mechanical dictation of the theory of inspiration or the notion that you know Paul is sitting there one day or Peter is sitting there one day and all of a sudden he goes into a trance and it's like someone else is writing for him. We don't believe that at all. Um, rather, God used the personalities, the experiences, the thought processes of fallible individuals to write his perfect word to us. And that's amazing that it happens that way. Peter is a great example of this. Quoting Joel 2 in Psalm 16 in the sermon that he preached in the temple on the day of Pentecost as recorded in Acts 2. And also... As we have read today, his usage of Psalm 118 and Isaiah 28 before the Sanhedrin. Peter told the leaders that Jesus was the cornerstone that they, the builders, had rejected. And so when the apostles gathered with the church after the leaders had let them go, they affirmed that Psalm 2 had prepared them to understand and respond to this moment. The more we know about Scripture and the more we trust in our sovereign Lord, the more prepared we will be for any circumstance in which the Lord places us. And again, if you think, I have no idea how to witness, I could never witness, just learn the Scripture. You'll be amazed at how God will use you. And it's far better that way because you know it's Him, not you. Just know His Word. That's the focus of our last point. Be as joyful in Jesus as you are bold in the power of the Holy Spirit, serving in the courage that community with other believers affords or brings. The division and strife in our land has led many believers to be discouraged. 
But there's no place for either strife or discouragement within the church. God has brought us into the same family. And rather than mourn what we have lost in this city of man, as Augustine would call it, uh, would say about our nation, we should rejoice that we are citizens of the city of God. Eternal life is ours <coughs> through Jesus. Excuse me. What privilege we enjoy to band together and pray for God to deliver us from persecution. No, wait a minute. That's to, to pray for God to fortify us against any opposition as we boldly proclaim the truth. Think about it. What truth? The truth that Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords, and that we belong to his family and so can all who will repent and believe. God is our Father. Jesus is our Redeemer and our brother. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to share the gospel wherever we are. Brothers and sisters, do not despair over the persecution that may or may not come to us. But rejoice if it does come that we are counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. The name of Jesus. We know from Psalm 2, which is quoted three times in Revelation, how all of this is going to end. We know who's on top. It's not us. It's, well, we're connected with him. And he's the one who will have the final say. Look for Jesus' return soon. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Would you please stand with me as we pray? Father, stir our hearts to be with Jesus in the scriptures, through prayer, through our spiritual fellowship with one another. Set our hearts on fire to share the gospel. May this place, may this group of believers be shaken as we watch your word be proven true over and over again. And may the Holy Spirit have free reign in our lives as we yield to your sovereign plan to make us more like Jesus. May Jesus be exalted in our midst. It is in his name, the name by which we must be saved, the name that is above every name. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the benediction. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.